Good morning, Pacific Hope Church. Welcome back to the resumption of our Sunday school sessions. It's good to see all of you. Uh, we are going to be starting with uh, a, a series we're calling the Stewardship Principles. And so we're going to initially start with kind of an overview of some things that we think cover all of stewardship, and then we'll dive into some of the individual components. So with that, let's pray and get started. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you again for your generosity to us. Lord, you've given us many gifts, many talents. Lord, you've also given us instructions on how we can use them. Lord, so we pray that you would open our eyes, that you would help us to see how we may best use what you've given us to bring you glory and to expand your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So we're going to start off, we want to make sure we have the right people in the room, so we're going to start off with a little quiz. So what I want you to do is I'm going to list some things, and if you have any of those things, I want you to raise your hand. And now there is a chance you might have more than one of them, so why don't you keep track mentally of how many of these things you have. So again, uh, raise your hand when you hear something that you actually have, and then count the things that are on the list that you have. So... Does anyone have a body? Okay. I'm, sorry, I'm seeing a few hands, but I'm a little concerned that I don't see more. Um, a mind. Again, freaking out that some of the hands are not actually raising. Uh, money. Anyone have time? Knowledge. Relationships. Abilities. Responsibilities. Energy, attention. So in general, again, freaking out that all the hands are not actually up, but I guess we're not putting our energy into this. But how many of those things did you guys have? Who, how many did you have? So how many was that? <laughs> so thank you for counting <laughs> and keeping up. We're off to a great start, so this, this is going to be good. So you, you might have noticed that those were just 10 items that you all have. So when we, when we think about people who have been ten, given 10 gifts or even 10 talents, realize that we all have at least 10 of those things that we just kind of went over. Now, another question. There, there used to be a saying that, you know, his heart wasn't in it. Has anyone heard that saying? Cool. So how can we tell if someone's heart isn't in it something. And this is one of those things where I'm going to sit here and stare until <laughs> someone actually comes up with a response. Okay, I hear that they're unhappy. Are there any other ways that we can tell that people's heart isn't in something? Effort. Effort. Good. Anything else? Attitude. Attitude. Right. And one last one. This is going to be a good one. No passion. So those are all ways that we can tell if someone's heart isn't into something. But as we would expect, Scripture also gives us some guidance on how we know when our heart is not there. So if we look at Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21, it says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, 
where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So scripture tells us, if you want to find out where your heart is and where your heart isn't, you can look at where you consistently apply your treasures. So if you are consistently uh, not putting your money towards something, or if you're consistently not spending your time doing something, or if it doesn't get your attention and we heard effort and energy, then those are good indications that your heart isn't there. So we, in general, um, the, the point we can take from this is there are some emotional ways that we can tell where our heart is, but there are also a little bit more objective ways. If we don't see our treasures being consistently applied to something, we know that there's an issue perhaps with our heart in that. So where we apply our energy, our attention, where we place our bodies, where we spend our money, where we spend our time, how we deal with our relationships, all those things, again, can tell us if your heart is in it or if your heart isn't. So that's something that we can tell from the way that we steward things, but we might also want to just step back and go, okay, what is stewardship? And so I was going to ask, but I, that last question threw a couple of people, so we're just going to focus. That's what Merriam-Webster defines stewardship as is the conducting, supervising, or managing of something, especially the careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. So it kind of touches on two things. One is, is we have to be careful and thoughtful about it, and the other is that it's been entrusted to us. So we are believers, and we believe in the Bible, and so there's a, a, a definition from Holman Bible Dictionary that I think clears up where this stuff came from and why we should use it, or how we should use it. And it says, uh, stewardship is utilizing and managing all resources God provides for the glory of God and the betterment of his creation. And we see those concepts echoed in Scripture. 1 Corinthians 4 and 7 says, what, you do have, what do you have that you did not receive? So again, it's a rhetorical question, again, which is opposite of what I'm going to ask you guys. So the answer is obvious that there is nothing that you have that you haven't received. And then 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do to the glory of God. So that first quiz we went through indicates that everyone in this room is a steward. All those things that we listed, all those things that we counted, or some of us counted, or at least that I asked you to count, all of those things are given to us by God. And as such, we are responsible to God for how we spend or how we utilize each of them. Now, each of the areas can have a different nuance. You know, there can be some different guidance around how we utilize those things. And again, through the rest of this series, we're going to dig into finances, we'll dig into spiritual disciplines and, and time management. But today's session, we're going to kind of touch on some things that I believe are foundational, that are touching all the areas and all the ways that we steward. So uh, just a little background. Back in the day, I used to teach uh, financial courses for Crown Ministries. 
And what that did was it kind of had you look through Scripture, look at what Scripture said about money, and then compare that to what you're actually doing with it. Now, since we had young kids at the time, and I guess actually we still have young kids, um, but these were the first young kids that we had at the time. We were really interested in finding out how can you teach these concepts to people who really have no idea what money is. So at this time, if we had given Ethan a dollar bill, it might have ended up in his mouth. So we wanted to make sure that we could start, though, on these concepts uh, at, at as early as possible age. So what we saw is that if you remove the money, the, that piece of paper and those coins, you kind of had this foundation where when we're talking about financial stewardship, we're talking about contentment. We're talking about patience. We're talking about generosity. We're talking about self-control. And those are things that we could start teaching, even at a very younger age, even though he never you know, knew how many yen you could get for a dollar or vice versa. So those types of things actually encompass all the other areas that we stewardship. So I'm going to touch on a few of those today. So we'll start with um, kind of some of the things that will help us as we consider how we you know, utilize everything that God has given us. And then we're going to look at a couple of things that will be challenges, regardless of what area of stewardship we are, we are addressing. So the first thing, there's some aids. One is a, is a purpose or a mission. So to paraphrase Lewis Carroll, if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. So from that, we understand that if we don't remember the ultimate purpose of why we have these things, we're not going to make really good decisions on how we use them. And now we're going to uh, give a couple of examples where you're going to actually respond with, with some answers to whether or not these are examples of good stewardship or bad stewardship. So if I sit around all day and I talk to people about their personal lives at my job, is that good stewardship? Or bad stewardship? Bad. Do we have any good? I'm sorry, what was that? I heard that it depends on your job, and it does. So if I'm a reporter, if I am a counselor, if I am an HR person, then perhaps this is the best use of my time. Now, if I am a software developer, or a trash man. This might not be the best use of my time. So again, it really depends on what your purpose is. It, why are you there at all? So another example, and now that we heard that one, we might get some little different answers. But if I give all my money to the poor, is that an example of good stewardship or bad stewardship? I have a lot of bads. People are really focusing on the bad <laughs> stuff. It depends on your purpose. So if you are the rich young ruler who has gone to Jesus and asked him, what must I do to be saved? And the response to that question is, sell all you have and give it to the poor. It is phenomenal stewardship for you to give all your money to the poor. If you are a charitable organization where your point is to give all your money to the poor, again, phenomenal stewardship. You're using what you've been given for the purpose you've been giving it to, given for. Now, again, if you're an investment baker, you will probably not be an investment baker for very long. 
because that is really, really poor stewardship. And of course, we know that each of us is required to look out for the needs of our household. So if I give all my money away and my children are sitting around the table starving, that is not a demonstration of good stewardship. So we got one more for you. Okay. <laughs> yes, it depends. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thank you. So again, everything that we're looking at is, is going to be painted and colored by the fact that it depends on our call. So I can run up and tackle someone, and if my job is to protect people, I've done well. If I'm doing that out of anger because they wanted to take the last of the toys that my kids want, that's poor stewardship. If I invest in a company that has a 100% chance of doubling my, my return on investment, that can be a good thing unless that company is doing something that is inconsistent with my faith. So when we're looking at stewardship, there's no real easy, okay, always do this, never do this, always walk this way, shake your hand three times, and do the hokey pokey and turn yourself around. It is always going to depend on, and we always have to filter this through, what is our purpose? Now, the cool thing is we have scripture, and scripture always reminds us our purpose. Every believer has the same purpose. We are here to glorify God. And so we have a lot of flexibility in that, but that does constrain some of the things that we can do a little bit. And when we know our purpose, what we tend to do is we tend to maximize those endeavors that bring God glory, and we try to avoid those that, that don't. Now, all of us, that was, that was kind of a purpose or mission, and we all have the same purpose and mission. But God has made each of us differently. And so he's given us different talents, he's given us different opportunities, he's given us different passions. And one way to look at that picture or that idea of how God has gifted and provided opportunities for each individual is a notion of a vision or a picture of how God has made me and how he's uniquely enabled me to serve. Now, 1 Corinthians 12, 18 through 20 talks about this differentiation between believers. And it says, but in fact, God has arranged the members of the body, every one of them, according to his design. If they all were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. So again, in this example, we are one body. We have one purpose, which is to glorify God, which is to spread his kingdom and his glory. But we all are different, and we all have different parts. And so one example of how we see that, that singular purpose or that singular mission worked out in different ways is the Great Commission, is the call to make disciples. So there's many ways that we can do that. Uh, one person will be a street evangelist. They will go out and preach the gospel on the street. Another one will stand behind a pulpit and do the same thing. There will be those who will go around the world in order to reach the unreached. And there will be those who will stay home and provide the funds and the support and the prayer and the resources that they need while they're out there. And there will be those who will be in their home preaching to their unregenerate children and doing their best to, to lead them to Christ. So again, you can kind of see all of those people, all of those parts are working towards the same objective, but God has gifted each one differently so that how they do it is going to look a little bit different. So if we have... Uh, an understanding of this, this picture of how God has gifted us, 
then that can help us when we have a scenario to choose between two choices. Okay, do I do A or B? Well, all things being equal, I might lean towards the one that I'm more gifted in. Now, can anyone come up with any reason whatsoever why you would ever do something that is outside of your sweet spot? And yes, I will stand here. Sorry? If there's a need. So if there's a need, if you have the capacity, if it doesn't really matter what your giftings are. So one of the things we can see is that, or one of the things that can happen is I can become so focused on this picture of how God's made me and what he's designed for me to do that I use that as an excuse to never do anything that doesn't fit within my picture. I kind of use that as an excuse to say, okay, well, this is, this is what I'm looking for. I'm going to wait for God to send this opportunity, and I'm going to sit here, and I'm going to do that. But we should never do that. And instead, if there's a need that we can meet by God's grace and all things being equal, you know, we can do that, we do that. And one example of how that works for Pacific Hope is you guys are listening to me, and I'm being amplified over a wireless sound system. Now, just about no one on the AV team at Pacific Hope Church came to this church with a strong desire or a strong set of skills to stand in the back of the room and push buttons. So no one on the AV team said, you know what, God, thank you. You have made me a sound person. We even have people, a person who doesn't like computers. But they saw that need, they were able to meet that need, and because of that, you can hear me. And if you are on the live stream, you can see and hear me. So if we didn't have those people who said, this may not be exactly what I'm designed for, then lots of things wouldn't get done. There'd be lots of gaps. Another reason we might want to serve in a way that we don't feel particularly gifted is that God can reveal in those times a gift that we didn't know about. So we can start off saying, you know what, that's not where I do, never done it, don't have any interest, and then find out that it is something that God has gifted us with. We have a strong desire and a, an affinity for that after we've done that. But we miss those opportunities if we sit back and say, you know what, when, when this perfect thing comes, then I'll jump in and do that. And another thing that we get from this is the opportunity to prove ourselves faithful. So if we are faithful in a little, if we are faithful in things that we don't love, we can be moved to areas where we perhaps do love. And we can also learn um, the things that God would have us learn in those situations. So again, all things being equal, if you have two choices, definitely choose the one that leans towards your gifting. But our purpose even above that is to serve. So where we can, where we can be a blessing, then we, we use our giftings in those areas. Now, the last thing that kind of helps, again, focus us on where we might spend our attention and our times is, is roles and responsibilities. So um, just quickly, a husband, that role of being a husband means that he's going to spend his time differently than a single guy and his money differently than a single guy. He's called to different things. So when we are considering how we best steward what God has given us, we take into consideration those roles that he's put us in. 
So those are some, some guides, again, to help go, okay, here, here's how I can differentiate between some good stuff and some, and some bad stewardship. Now, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to talk about some of the challenges, some of the things that draw us back from being good stewards. Uh, if anyone's ever talked to me for more than five minutes, they probably heard a little bit about this one, but it's that conflict that we have between our feelings and our faith. So that conflict that comes when I feel this way and I feel like this and I this, that is in direct opposition to what Scripture says. And if we go with our feelings, uh, we're, we're getting ourselves into trouble. So uh, when I started teaching time management, um, the question that consistently came up was, okay, well, are these techniques going to make it so that I never miss a meeting or I'm never late to a meeting? And they, they, you know, there's this big expectation where I'm going to go, yes, this is, but the answer is no. So has anyone ever seen G.I. Joe, the cartoon? Like, back in the day, we had these big fat TVs and, and we had cartoons, but they only came on on Saturdays. And if you had a little brother who got up earlier than you, then you'd have to wrestle over. Anyone have that experience? Okay, well, back then, there was a G.I. Joe cartoon. And at the end of every G.I. Joe cartoon, they would give you a little tidbit of information, and then they'd stare in the screen and they'd say, now you know. And knowing is half the battle. And, it, and it's true, but it's only part of the battle. So part of the battle is to know what we should do. And if truth be told, we know a bulk of what we should do. The challenge is, is that we have to determine whether or not we're going to follow what we know to be true or what we feel to be true. And that is always going to be the conflict. So we are always going to have to be, we're going to be tempted to quarrel because of passions that are inside us. We're going to want to buy an uh, extra batch of ice cream rather than maybe saving for the time where there's a, going to be a famine. The other extreme is we're going to put our hope in our savings rather than being generously because we're afraid. We think that our, 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 our savings are going to save us. Um, we will shrink back in fear when there's an opportunity to share the gospel. And we will be slow to forego the comfort and the amusement of our devices when perhaps it would be better that we were in prayer or we are in scripture. So feelings, again, are going to draw us away. Now, they can be helpful indicators. Your feelings can tell you something is wrong. Even anxiety, which we're told not to be anxious, will tell you that something's wrong. Now, what it will tell you is that your confidence is in the wrong place. But that feeling can tell you something is wrong, but it is never a great guide on how to solve the issue. So just as we need, again, the Holy Spirit to reveal the truth, all these things that we know about how we can make better decisions, we need God's grace to practice self-control and to follow after it. Now, that's kind of feelings versus faith. There's another concept, which is it's kind of a continuum. On one end of the, the extreme, you have covetousness, where you are striving after stuff that you don't need, stuff that's not yours. On the other extreme, you have complacency. And we want to be right in the middle. We want to be in the place of contentment. So if we're talking about covetousness, one definition is it's marked by an inordinate desire 
for wealth or possessions or for another's possessions. So there's kind of two facets. One is this, this overwhelming or inordinate desire. And John Piper says that covetousness is desiring something so much that we lose our contentment in God. And covetousness can be the belief that we need something that is really just something that we want. Now, on the other side of the equation, we, Scripture gives us clear understanding that if it's somebody else's, it's somebody else's. So Deuteronomy 5.21 says, And you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, and you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servants, or his female servants, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. So just out of curiosity, has anyone ever coveted an ox? No, okay. I, I was just curious. Now, most of us don't have trouble with most of the things that are explicitly on the list, which is why Scripture gives us that last piece. Anything that is your neighbor. So what are, we, we know that we don't covet the ox. What are some of those things that we actually covet? And it doesn't have to be you. It can be a friend that you heard about once. <laughs> what, what, what are some things that people in general, nameless, faceless people could covet? Car. I heard four cars. House. Job. I'd say, I, I deserve, I want that job. What else? Family. Yes. Children. But yes, those are all those. And another thing that we, we can covet is even in the body of faith, it, it's kind of this holy covet where I want your ministry or I want your giftings. And uh, 1 Corinthians 12 talks about how, you know, how that can play out. So verses 4 through 6 says, There are different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. There are different ways of working, but the same God works in all things in all people. So we know that however we've been gifted, it's, it's by God's design. Verses 14 through 17, dig in a little bit more. So, for the body does not consist of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? So we, we see that, again, God has placed us where we are. He's given us what he's given us. He's definitely required that we are content with it. Um, so when we are not, when we are constantly grasping after someone else, in addition to um, what we might think about that normally, we're kind of saying that God's wisdom is incomplete that God doesn't know what's best for me or God doesn't know how to deal best with my circumstances. I do. And God made a mistake. He gave my car to my friend. And so we're, we're just going to have to clear that up. So covetousness is an excessive focus on something um, that causes us to expend unnecessary resources and usually towards ends that are not good. So if we slow, sow to our flesh, we reap corruption. Um, David gave in to these covetous desires for Bathsheba. And that was to the detriment of his family, to himself, and to his nation. So in order for us to 
make sure that we don't give our honor and our years to the merciless. We need to, by God's grace, avoid covetousness and instead seek contentment. Now, contentment is to be free from care because of satisfaction with what is already one's own. And we're obviously called to contentment. Hebrews 13.5 says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so there's one uh, translation that says, Keep your life free from covetousness. Again, that, that striving after other things. Be content with what you have. And it's great because the reason is our hope should never be in those things. It should never be in the car. It should never be in the money. It should never be in the job. So we can be content. Our hope should be in the one who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He says to us, you may not have that job. You may not have that money. You may not have that time. You may not have that family. But I will never leave you or forsake you. And so we need to be confident in that because we will never have enough money to to make it so that we never have that sense. And also, we, we read that we're supposed to cast our cares on him. Again, those cares, those anxieties are on him. And we are reminded that when we are anxious, when we feel like either we don't have the time, again, the money, the resources, the family, the whatever, we pray to him. And the cool thing about that scripture is that he doesn't say, you know, pray and I'll give you enough money to deal with your anxiety. But he says, pray, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind. And that peace is undoubtedly what gave Paul the ability to be content in whatever circumstances he was in. So we should pray that God gives us that same contentment. Now, one of the things we, we, we rejoice in the, the thing of contentment is, is we know that that helps to keep us from wearying ourselves after wealth, for running haphazardly about after these things that, that are not ours. But what we don't want to do is we don't want to turn it into this notion of inactivity. So if we read uh, Matthew 25, the parable of Matthew 25, starting in verse 14, this is what we read of one of the servants. He said, He who had received five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So Scripture made sure that we understood that he didn't stand there and go, whew, next week I'm going to get a job. Next week I'm going to do this. But rather he quickly he began to work with what God gave him. Now in the context in Matthew 20, the last part of Matthew 24 and the beginning of 25, we see other parables that drive home the point that a servant wants to be found serving when their master returns. So we see in the combination of these parables that these are commendable servants, but they're not inactive. They start working, and they work until their master comes. So sometimes we can say, okay, I'm content, so therefore I'm inactive, but really that lack of effort is more in common with complacency. So we talked about covetousness. We talked a little bit about contentment, and now we're going to jump into complacency. So complacency is the feeling of calm satisfaction with your own abilities or a situation that prevents you from trying harder. It can also be described as self-satisfaction combined with being unaware of risks. So in both of these, these definitions, it starts out great. It's like, I'm satisfied. That's good. But then we add 
to that satisfaction, we add laziness. And it can stem from an apathy or uh, a resignation to the notion that things will never get better. But that apathy, that laziness, means that we are not content, we are complacent. So one example is, I'm going to stop teaching because they never know the answer. But we can do that. And we can describe our complacency, and we can make it almost a virtue. Now, one way that we describe our complacency, we disguise it, is we change it into, well, I'm just content with what God has taught me so far. And so in the business world, an example of this, it says, I'm so good at my job, I don't need to learn any new skills, so I'm not going to. Now, of course, there, there's some pridefulness in that. Um, there's also the lack of the realization that things change. And so we've seen people lose jobs because of that attitude. We've seen businesses go out of business because of that, because scripture says that things change. There's a time and season for everything. So our sitting there, even if we mask it with this contentment in our capabilities that God has given me, really there's a laziness that is not contentment. Another way that we can mask it is we can say, you know what, I'm just, I'm content uh, with my weaknesses. You know, I'm not going to be one of those people who sits there and bangs their head over whatever. So in the same situation, I can say, okay, this job that I have, it's not really a good fit for me. It, it's not in my gifting. So I'm not going to learn any new skills. And the unfortunate thing that we, we forget is maybe God has you in that job to learn skills that you need. So again, we've seen when we served out of our sweet spot, we might find that we have a gifting. And when we work out of our sweet spot, we might find that we are growing in a way that God is calling us to grow. But the notion of contentment is not one of, of complacency. It's one of very activity where we are following and serving our master. That Part of that serving means growth. So when we look at contention or, or covetousness, um, we know that that can cause us to feverishly chase after things that aren't our own. Contentment is us faithfully serving and utilizing whatever God has given us, making sure that we don't get lazy. We don't get complacent and say, this is all there will be, and so this is all I'm going to do. So, kind of touched on a couple of things. Again, the first three were kind of guides. How can I evaluate whether or not I am being a good person? steward or not. I look at my purpose, our mission is God-given. I look at the picture or the combination of gifts and talents that God given me and seeing, am I maximizing those? And I see where God has placed me and the roles and responsibility. And I use all of those things to evaluate how my stewardship is going. The other thing, I'm very mindful of the challenges. I know that there's going to come a point where I'm not going to feel like doing the thing that I know to do. And I have to, by God's grace, persevere, not because I feel like it, but because God is calling me to do it. And I also know that there's going to be times where at least four people know what I'm talking about. I'm going to want someone else's car. And I'm going to want someone else's family or their house or their opportunities or their ministry. But rather than running hard after what God is giving me, I'm going to be content to use what he's given me as best as I can. Now, one last thing, everyone knows it, but no one really believes it, which is a concept that are, uh, it's going to cover all the stewardship aspects. 
you can't do everything. So I know everyone's like, yeah, I know that. But we, we kind of don't know that. So what these things should hopefully help us with, they're going, okay, if I can't do everything, maybe what are the things I, I focus on? Those are going to be my, my mission and, and my vision and, and my roles and responsibilities. And when I make the decision about what I'm not going to do, I'm going to pray that I don't make that decision because of feelings, but rather follow my faith. And I'm going to, by God's grace, evaluate if this is me striving after something that is not mine, making an excuse for not doing what I'm called to do, or this is me faithfully serving where God has placed me with what he's given me. So, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your generosity towards us, and we do thank you for your word. It is a guide. Lord, may we follow that guide. Lord, would you help us to demonstrate our love to you with all our hearts, all our minds, and all our strength. In Jesus' name, amen.